This is Melange à deux, a Vienna podcast. Herzlich willkommen. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Melange à deux. This is one of your hosts, Frau Batsby, and I'm with... Herr X. Hello. How are you? I'm fantastic. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. It is a very early morning because Kiddo woke us up at 3. At it's, 3. It's his birthday today, so I think he's excited. He's very excited. We've got a brownie cake for later, uh, but we thought we'd record this now, so uh, we're somewhat fresh. <laughs> yeah, as fresh as can be. Yeah, so apologies for the noise in the back. That is the child. who, As soon as we are occupied, he decides to sing. So you might hear him in the background, but it's his birthday. He can do what he wants. Well, he adds ambiance. He does. He adds ambiance. Um, we are now on to episode 13. The title is You Don't Know Jack, which is about Jack Unterweger, the Austrian serial killer. Well, it makes sense. He's the 13th. He's the 13th. I thought something spooky and horrible and creepy. It's yeah. a terrible person. Um, so we'll be talking about that today. But I first want to say thank you to The Worst Guide, The Worst Guide podcast, for having me on the other week. So if you're new to this podcast and you heard about us through them, uh, thanks for coming over and visiting. And if you don't know about The Verse Guide, I highly recommend that podcast to check it out. They talk about Vienna and all sorts of fun things. So it's definitely a great podcast to listen to. Um, also, what's new? I mean, we just got back from Italy. Which was fantastic. Napoli. Napoli. We're in Naples. Uh, the pizza. The pizza. My God. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's really good. Yeah. I had a marinara pizza. I never thought I'd have a pizza with no cheese and love it. And it's it was really good. Just the sauce. The sauce was just... And we learned how to cross the street in Naples. Yes. We just stood by Italians and crossed with them. No, no. But then at the end, we did it ourselves. And we you just stare down the driver. And then you just said, uh, you know, they, it's, it's all about uh, communicating Fear. <laughs> yeah, with fear. And yeah, I feel like they kind of are telepathic. They're not purposely trying to hit you because they, but like the cars all had dents. I don't know if you noticed that. They all had dents. They all had dents, but they were minor dents. My they were pedestrian dents. Pedestrian dents. <laughs> um, yeah, what else was about Naples? Oh, they sell a lot of socks. Like there'll be people that will come up to your table at the cafe selling socks. Yes. And we're wondering what that's about. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you need socks. You never know. You're just out on the town and then it's like, socks. Got the socks. And then the best was we were at the airport and there was somebody selling socks. <laughs> Did he get through check-in? No, oh, I thought so at first. And okay. then I was like, well, I guess they just buy a ticket, <laughs> make their money back on tours. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, the highlight was also the open legs lemonade. You want to describe that? <sighs> Well, listen, I take my digestion very seriously. We all do. Yes. We all take your digestion very seriously. (laughs) Yes. Once I have a little bit of uh, indigestion, I I can turn into a very uh, disagreeable person. And so let's just say they have this amazing thing. And it totally makes sense that it's in Italy, which uh, prides themselves on food and specific rules, which we realize that the rule about cappuccino Mm-hmm. Uh, not after 11 a.m. is because essentially all of Italians are lactose intolerant to some degree. <laughs> so they all agreed that, listen, after 11, it's just not a good idea to have cappuccino. So, uh, well, I digress. The, <laughs> <laughs> the, 
open leg lemonade. So it's basically this thing. Uh, after you eat too much and uh, you feel like you're having a lot of indigestion, you're, you're not feeling your best. What you do is you go to the stand, they take some Sorrento lemons and they squeeze it. Then they add some soda water and then a scoop of a teaspoon of baking soda and they mix it and then it foams up like, you know, that volcano that we all made for, you know, our elementary school science experiment. And uh, yeah, you drink it really fast and you feel like you were just reborn. Okay, or you burp down the street for like an hour. Yeah, you burp for an hour, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's part of the ambiance. And... I did it a couple of times. It actually was amazing. Oh, it was uh, it was life changing, yeah. and so much so that we immediately, I think, the next day we came back to Vienna and we said, "Let's buy some lemons, <laughs> some uh, let's soda get water. soda water, <laughs> <That> baking soda." <laughs> so it's a staple in our home. It's a delight. Um, I think the highlight for me on the trip was Pompeii. It was oh. absolutely incredible. And we had a great tour guide. She was so wonderful. She was an archaeologist that works on the Pompeii site. Now, we normally don't do tour guides. No. Because we always think, yeah, you know, what do, you know we can we don't see like, things. We don't like other tourists. <laughs> we are tourists. We, we don't like getting expert opinion about no. things. I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, no, she was amazing. And uh, yeah, it was just uh, a good group as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, we got to see, I mean, it was a thriving city and we learned so much. Yeah, I think the funniest was we all had those little earphones so we could listen to her so you don't have to be super close. Yeah. And so it was a group of what, like 10 people and then there was a little girl with her father. So <laughs> the tour guide's like, we now go to the brothel uh, to look at the prostitution. And then she's like, I'll keep the little girl outside. And then she's still describing everything. <laughs> Yeah, we could all hear you. We can all hear you. Including so, the little girl. The little girl, but uh, she didn't seem too phased. Um, we also uh, we also watched Kojak while we were in Naples. Oh. A new favorite. He, it's great. So, you know, that was New York when it was New York. You know, it was so bad. Yeah. It was Serpico time, so it was like, you That's know. That's true. <laughs> but we actually cared about uh, things like that. He slept with a with a suspect. Did he solve the case? That's <laughs> <laughs> baby. Oh, yeah, so that was that was a great trip. I can't wait to go back. We genuinely enjoyed it. Oh my gosh, Kiddo is on fire this morning. Yeah, he's having fun. He's Listen, having a great time. Just... <laughs> um, oh, we also went to the science ball, which was a lot of fun. Oh my God, I'm going <laughs> to... It's your last birthday, Kiddo. <laughs> um, we went to the, the science ball and had a great time. We met the mayor briefly, which yes. was hilarious. Yes, and we were introduced as royalty. Yeah, so it was, that it was, was really nice. It was great. I don't. He had no idea who we were, were or the fact that <laughs> he made me a little mad over the pandemic. But that's fine. He's doing his job. Um, oh yeah, I think today. What are we going to do? We're going to watch uh, Walter Mitty again because it's yes. a great, uplifting film. Feel good. Uh, I really want to watch that Truman Capote versus the Swans. And then my mother suggested we watch that Griselda show uh we're just gonna take one sec <laughs> <laughs> had to uh had to close some more doors <laughs> kiddo wants to talk to everybody today <laughs> yeah so as i was saying my mother uh suggested the show griselda starring sofia vergara about this woman who runs a drug cartel yeah so i was like is it violent she's like no <laughs> yeah for those who don't know uh uh Frau Batsby, I almost <laughs> say my name. I almost outed you. <laughs> cannot take violence. I so. cannot. I cannot. I can't even do itchy and scratchy on The Simpsons. And it's funny because my mom, 
years ago, I was visiting my parents in Berlin and I was going through a really horrible time. And so I said to them, I'm like, I don't want to watch anything sad. I want to watch something funny and light. And my mother's like, well, let's watch Downton Abbey. And I'd never seen it before. And I was like, I, again, I need something that's positive and fun. So of course we watched an episode that she hadn't seen either, but it was like the most devastating <laughs> The, the husband is on his way to the birth of his first child and he dies in a car accident. Ugh. And I just sobbed. <laughs> and I was like, you lied to me. So I'm not taking any recommendations <laughs> from my mother. And then my dad, because I was like, is it violent, Griselda? My dad's like, it's about the cartel, Tova. <laughs> Proud bats me. <laughs> I outed myself. Um, yeah, so I think we should probably get started on this horrible, horrible man. This is a crazy, crazy story. You already know some of it, but oh. I found some new facts. It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. It's absolutely crazy. Um, my sources today are wikipedia.com. Uh, last podcast on the left, they actually did a three or two-part series on it. Biography.com, The Guardian, an article called The Vienna Strangler by John Leake. The book, The Vienna Woods Killer, A Writer's Double Life, also by John Leake. TheCrimeWire.com, the article Journalist, Literary, Celebrity, Serial Killer by Jake Anderson, and Murderpedia.com. Well, thoroughly researched as thoroughly, always. yeah. The Vienna Woods Killer, to be fair, I read that book a few years ago, but I found some excerpts from it, so it kind of jogged my memory. Uh, also, uh, because I am a modern woman, I'm going to be using the word sex worker instead of prostitute, but if the text is quoted, I'll be using prostitute. I thought prostitute was a polite way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, boomer. <laughs> I have other words. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just gave you a look. Um, here are some facts actually about sex workers in Austria, just for anybody who has not lived in Europe. Um, in Austria, sex work is completely legal. Mm -hmm. uh, sex workers have actually been taxed since 1986. As it was in Pompeii. Uh, True. See? But that I, yes. It's the last time I'll bring it back to Pompeii. <laughs> Pompeii, yeah. <laughs> your, your Roman Empire. Um, yeah, so sex workers have been taxed since 1986, and they can actually, they've been able to sue for non-payment since 2012. Oh. And these measures actually help protect sex workers because they're not treated like complete dirt, and they actually have a legal profession. And I think it's very, very important because generally sex work, when it's illegal, they hide from the police and crimes are committed against them. and More they... nefarious things like human trafficking. Exactly. And of course, so, no, I'm not making light of it. No, no. So um, that's pretty much my background story on this. So let's get started with episode 13. You don't know Jack. All right. Like that's, a good, that's, that's a good, good, good title, huh? All right. So Johann Jack Unterweger was born August 16th, 1950 in Judenburg, Jewish castle. Oh. Uh, his mother was named Theresia, and she was a Viennese barmaid and waitress, and his father was Jack Becker, an American soldier who she apparently met in Trieste, Italy. The father immediately bounced. It's actually never been confirmed if this man was actually Jack's father. Uh, his mother was arrested for fraud while she was pregnant, but then after went on to Graz to give birth in the, in the area. She was arrested again when Jack was a baby and he was sent to go live with his grandfather. So again, with anything I've been researching, I realized that there is so many different facts and people have different stories. So I kind of try to find the middle ground uh, or yeah. So other sources say that his name wasn't actually Unterweger from his mother, but from a murder victim he had read about 
and then he tried to say his aunt was a sex worker. It's all very confusing, but his mom was actually named Untevega, so it doesn't make any sense that that's another story. Um, his grandfather was a basket weaver. Huh. What was that joke always, like college, underwater yeah, yeah. basket weaving? I majored in uh, <laughs> basket weaving. Yeah. Um, some reports say that he was a kindly old man, not the abusive card-playing man Jack described him as. Uh, but then other reports say that he was, in fact, a very abusive gambling alcoholic. Hmm. Opa. <laughs> yeah. Opa. It's, it's, it's a play on words. Opa. He's grandpa. Ah. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. I tried. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Picture that meme with uh, something going over Superman's head. <laughs> yeah. So Jack was a difficult child. He had been arrested at least 16 times before the age of 25 for a variety of crimes. Quote, by 16, he was arrested for assaulting a local prostitute, and over the next nine years, he tacked on 16 other convictions for the same charge. As a matter of fact, in those nine years, he spent eight of them in and out of prison. Ooh. So he was a career criminal. When he was freed in 1976, he quickly got arrested again, this time for the more serious charge of murdering a prostitute with an iron bar than strangling her for good measure. Close quote. Her name was Margaret... Schaefer, and I actually don't think she was a sex worker. She was only 18 years old, and in fact, in some reports, his girlfriend at the time was in the car when he took Margaret to the woods and mar- murdered her. Ooh. His girlfriend then went to the police shortly thereafter. Again, different stories say different things, and it is believed that this, in fact, was his second murder. He just had been caught for this one. Hmm. Uh, this time, the sentence would stick. He was sentenced to life. So, meanwhile, he's... So he probably just took notes. He's like, uh, no witnesses next time. Yeah, yeah. I hate my girlfriend. So he was sentenced to how long? Life, which Life. is, okay. uh, yeah. Uh, they were, and I think because of his, you know, all his criminal background. Yeah. Oh, and he murdered somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm justifying this. <laughs> <laughs> this corrupt system. Um, so while in prison, he took up creative writing. He wrote short stories and poems and even children's stories. Mm. Uh, some of these were even featured on Aura F. Ooh. which is the Austrian Broadcasting Channel. People started paying attention to this man named Jack Untervega. The late 80s in Austria was a time of prison reform and the possibility of rehabilitation. Psychology was becoming more and more j- mainstream in general. Prisons in Europe are also very, very different from American ones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're downright <laughs> delightful. <laughs> Gardening. And... My first apartment after college? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in prison, Jack wrote the book Purgatory, Hmm. or in German, Fegefeuer, which was loosely based on his life. Quote, the upper crust art society of Austria were all taken aback by his work and declared him a talented, reformed man, and all got together demanding his freedom. They all felt, felt that the 14 years he spent in prison cured his violent outbursts, and with this gained incredible insight into the arts, close quote. Oh boy, were they wrong. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Uh, He also spun a story that his mother had been a sex worker and that he still struggled with this. And this was kind of the root of his violence. Uh, In Austria, a lifetime sentence prisoner has to serve at least 15 years of their their sentence. There soon started a petition to let Jack out early. The president was even asked to let him out as soon as possible. And guess who the president of Austria at the time was? Was it uh, Kurt Waldheim? Yeah, Ah. Waldheim. Yeah, maybe we'll do a podcast about him. Yes. Uh, so Jack Unterwecker was finally released in 1990, 15 years after his uh, conviction. And the intelligentsia in Vienna rejoiced. <laughs> yeah, because they thought he was a genius. Yeah. And they thought his book was great. 
Um, quote, he was soon all over Austria partying with high society and living the wealthy lifestyle. He was also a frequent guest on television, speaking of his rehabilitation and posing as a stark example of prison reform. Fitting into his life quite nicely, Unterweger got himself designer clothes, a new car, new friends, and a striking new girlfriend, close quote. He drove a Ford Mustang with the license plate Jack One. Ooh, yes. stylish. Stylish. He was, a, he was um, everywhere. Like, yeah. he was just constantly on, and he would have been Instagram famous if it was nowadays. Yeah. And you would think, you know, he would be happy with that, you know, uh, just... Don't do killings and you can just kill a, kill a person or two and you know, write a good book. Um, quote. And of course, that's how it ends. Of course. And then and then he was a shining example of Austrian prison rehabilitation. <laughs> and from now on, we let people out after 15 years. Oh. Come on, Fritz. <laughs> so, quote, Undeweger himself hosted television programs which discussed criminal rehabilitation. And he worked as a journalist for the public broadcaster ORF. End quote. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's how you get the job. Yeah. <laughs> what am I, mean, I doing wrong? He's got experience. He's got experience. Uh, Jack wore disco-inspired clothes and seemed fond of white suits. And, you know... Leisure suits? <laughs> pretty much. Like, he wore, like, the white... Like, he looked kind of like a pimp, but from the 70s, but it was the 90s, so... So the Bee Gees, thing, or, like or the Saturday Bee Gees, Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever, oh, okay. and to be fair, that's when he went to prison, so that would have been the height of fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Jack. Yeah, I feel like me like being in prison and dressing like Allie McBeal. Um, Which works now. 90s are back. That's so. true. You know what? Jack was ahead of his time. Not only was he a great writer, he was a fashionista. So Jack was the toast of the town. Everybody wanted a piece of him. He gave talks. He was working on his second book. And uh, then the killing started. Oh. Who would have seen that that. coming? All right. So, ready? So, how to start? First, he killed in Prague. Quote, A young woman named Blanka Bochkova in Czechoslovakia, in addition to seven other young women in Austria in 1990, Brunhilde Masser, age 39, Heidi Hammerer, age 31, Elfriede Schrempf, age 35, Sylvia Zagler, age 23, Sabina Moitzel, age 25, Karen Roglu Sladki, age 25, Regina Prem, age 32, all in the first year after his release. Wow, he didn't wait. How many How many people? How, how that many? is uh, eight people. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And they were all um, killed with their bras, strangled with their bras, which is an important point. I'm not going to go into the murders, into the, yeah, into yeah. the details. Uh, but yeah. Oh my God. Eight in the first year. In the first year, within the first year of being released. I mean, that's, so there's different, so I, there's like frenzy killing. Cause I used to listen to a lot of true crime and then I stopped because I was having nightmares all the time. <laughs> so I've taken a bit of a break from true crime, but that would be kind of like a, a frenzy killing. But he, but that usually escalates later after in a serial killer's life. Yeah. But I guess he was making up for lost time. Wow. Yeah. He's got to keep his averages up. <sighs> Absolutely oh horrific. God. So they just started finding all these bodies. And some of these women were sex workers, some were not. I'm not going to go into details who, because nobody should be murdered. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to, it's just absolutely horrific. So when Jack was first arrested in the murder of Schaefer back in 76, there was also another murder that had gone unsolved. There is reason to believe that Jack was responsible for that one as well, as mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier. As the bodies were being discovered around Vienna and Prague, retired 70-year-old investigator August Schenner started to recognize the M.O., Mm. asphyxiation with an item of their clothing. 
He remembered the murders in 76 and remembered Jack thinking how manipulative the man was. Jack had said in his first trial after hitting Schaefer once with a metal pipe, he wanted to stop, but a vision of his mother popped into his head and he was enraged. So he kept killing. This helped seal his, quote, insanity, quote, unquote, plea. This type of thing was much easier back in the day. Because there was, mm. like, this was 70s. They were kind of starting, this is when Sybil came out, the multiple personalities. Right. So, but I mean, Oof. so this guy, August Schenner, I, he just seems like this grizzled old retired detective. Says, Wait a minute. I've seen this before. <laughs> I've cast him as Tommy Lee Jones in my film. Oh, yeah. Right? That totally makes sense. Apparently, they've been working for a few years on a film starring Michael Fassbender as Untevega. Oh. But it hasn't come out. I don't know if it ever will. Do you know who Michael Fassbender is? I do. Oh, okay. I know he's married to Alicia Vikander. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Who's that? <laughs> How do you know these names? <laughs> I think they're married. She was in The Man from Uncle. The, the fact that you, you know B-list celebrities. She's not a B-list celebrity. I don't know who these people are. I'll show you a picture of her in a bra. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course. There she is. <laughs> she has a name of her. <laughs> so glad we're talking about such a sensitive topic about sex work and murders. Um, okay. So Tommy Lee Jones, August Shenna, he started to link the murders now taking place in the early 90s. There was also another detective on the case, and I'll get to that in a minute. So Jack decides that he wants to now go to L.A., to do an article about sex work. So with a per diem from a magazine, Jack heads to Los Angeles. I didn't want to get any copyright issues. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you have to keep it under a certain amount of time? I think like 14 seconds or something. Really? I don't know. Let's see when we get sued. No, isn't that the rule when somebody's calling and you're tracing their call that you got to keep it up? I think that's 30 seconds. I don't know. I'll look into the next time I'm <laughs> negotiating a hostage deal. Um, Criminal minds want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jack is in Los Angeles. And in the meantime, as I mentioned, there's another detective on the case. Quote, Dr. Ernst Geiger a detective on the Austrian Federal Police Force. He invented the Geiger counter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he worked on this case and then did that. I mean, the mind of that guy. Yeah, and apparently he also was really into Formula One. I don't know. He should have looked into Ernst Geiger. Um, so he worked for the Austrian Federal Police. Um, he had never been convinced by Unterweger's act as a reformed man. A discreet surveillance was kept on the killer. When Unterweger was invited to Los Angeles to write articles, it wasn't just Geiger who noticed that the latest murders suddenly stopped. <laughs> <laughs> now he realized that he would have to look seriously into Unterweger's movements and either eliminate or arrest him. It was just a question of getting the right evidence. The police began to trace all of Unterweger's uh, paper trail activities from credit cards to receipts and rental car agencies. After several months, they had accumulated many links to the man's movements in places where the victims had been murdered. Records showed that Unterweger was in Graz when Brunhilde Masser was found strangled, and also in Bregenz when victim Heidemarie Hammerer disappeared off the radar. A witness also testified that Unterweger was similar to a man she had seen Hammerer with, um, with Hammerer just before she disappeared, and that he'd been wearing a brown leather jacket and red scarf. Sightings of Unterweger with other victims in Vienna were also established. Mm. End quote. So they're starting to. Well, they've already. This is the LA police. No, this is the Austrian police. Okay. So while he's in LA, they're like, wait a second, all the murders have stopped. And then they're starting to look at receipts. They're seeing that 
He rented cars. He was in these areas. And then there was the red scarf with a brown leather jacket. So I'm assuming they call Los Angeles and they're like, hey. Not yet. We're not okay, there yet. Okay, not okay. yet there. Give me a No, no, no. I know you're excited. Um, also, why would you wear a red scarf if you're going to, like, that's a very, like, just wear something neutral. I, I, I keep thinking of Home Alone where they they wanted to be the wet bandits. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 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 they want to. You need a brand. You, you need know? a brand. Yeah, yeah, the red scarf. He already had a brand. <laughs> Jack Vega. All right, let's go back to Jack in L.A. So it's 1991. Uh, this is also right after the Rodney King riots. So L.A.'s... Oh, it was a very, very peaceful time. Peaceful time. Also, Silence of the Lambs is in theaters. And apparently Jack loved this film and saw it several times at the movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Hannibal. <laughs> Finally, they get me. They understand. <laughs> Uh, his first stop was at LAPD headquarters when he arrives in LA. What? <laughs> Just goes? Yes, because he wanted to interview them. They actually took him on a ride along and showed him all the red light districts in LA. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you thought the way to handle OJ was incompetent. <laughs> yeah, they're like, sure, little Austrian man, come on. let's." And then this is where it's really dark in the alley, and then these are woods, so this is a great place. This is a good dumping ground. Yeah, it's a, literally a concierge service for a serial killer. <laughs> so he stayed at the Cecil Hotel in L.A., which is very, very notorious and famous, very close to L.A.'s Skid Row. Serial killer Richard Ramirez stayed there, and there's been a lot of un solve mysteries that have happened there. There was also the case of the woman, Elisa Lamb. Oh, this is terrible. So there's video of her getting on an elevator and it looks like somebody might be chasing her. She looks terrified. Mm. And then she goes missing. And uh, people are wondering what happens. And then they started, I don't want to go into the story. Let's just say she was found dead in a water tank on the top of the hotel. Did you just yada yada the whole story? Yeah, because I I really awful this poor girl so they think she wasn't murdered probably it was a psychotic break it's a really tragic story but she uh, stayed also at the Cecil Hotel um, and so we're gonna totally have to go when we go to LA and check it out not stay there we'll just look at it <laughs> yeah so um, Jack apparently while he was staying at the hotel checked out because he didn't like that it was very seedy and at one point he got robbed <laughs> His standards, the crime, the crime. The crime in the U.S. <laughs> Just I mean. Outrageous. And their gun laws. <laughs> he also, while he was in L.A., tried to get an interview with Charles Bukowski. <laughs> he was turned down. <laughs> he also wanted to interview Cher because she was a strong woman. So he actually found her house in Malibu but couldn't get past the front gates. And apparently he also wanted to meet Zaza Gabor, but that did not happen. What Hey, look, he was, you know, he just keep keep working, get that dream interview in. Uh, he had been hired to, quote, write about crime in Los Angeles and the difference between U.S. and European attitudes to prostitution. He met local police, even go so, going so far as to participate in a ride-along of the red, city's, sorry, the city's red light districts. During Untovega's time in Los Angeles, three workers, sex workers, Shannon Exley, Irene Rodriguez, and Penny Booth, end quote, had been strangled to death. Oof. I mean, he was uh, this guy. Uh, Jack would actually end up covering a couple of these murders as a reporter. What? Yeah, he would like. So he's covering his mm-hmm. own murder. He's like, yeah, he's saying to the, the, the cop, he's like, uh, I think she was strangled by her bra. <laughs> <laughs> or the cop is saying, uh, no, we believe this. And he's like, no, 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 I don't think that's. I what don't happened. think that's true. You should probably check that again. 
Unbelievable. So after his stint in L.A., he headed back to Austria. Quote, following Untervega's return to Austria, where he realized he was now a suspect, he wrote articles criticizing the police force efforts to track down the killer. (laughs) (laughs) What is happening? Because so many people had taken a great risk in believing that Unterweger was a reformed character, they supported him in his crusade against the police. End quote. I mean, that's one, one way to look at some costs, you know? Like, you know, they've, they've really, they've invested so much time, though, we, we fail to want to believe this. Are you comparing, like, Jack Unterweger and the sunk cost fallacy of relationships? Yeah. <laughs> it's an investment. I've been know? with her for 15 years. <laughs> um, so back to a quote. It was important that Dr. Ansteiger, the detective, collected as much circumstantial evidence that he could, uh, which he did from various Austrian prostitutes who Unterweger had uh, visited under the pretext that he was a journalist. <laughs> Close quote. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can't. If you wrote a book about this, nobody people would be like, "No, this is I don't ridiculous. This, this yeah. is so silly." Or they'd make him the like the hero. Oh, also to describe what Jack Unterweger looked like: dead eyes, short hair. He was quite short and covered in prison tattoos. You couldn't see them when he was dressed. Right. But, I mean, he's he's like, uh, he's Hannibal Lecter in a way, but young and grr. It's just, it's absolutely horrific. I could see he's like the one guy in the theater, like, clapping. Like, yeah, he's like, amazing. <laughs> he escaped. Silence of the Lambs is the best. It's like people on uh, Wall Street cheering Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Bad people. So, um... Back to the quote. Dr. Geiger was able to carry out forensic tests on a BMW that Unterweger had bought on his release from prison. A hair fragment was found and DNA tests proved that it belonged to Blanka Bochkova, the first victim from Prague. Mm. This evidence allowed a warrant search of the suspect's flat in Vienna, where they discovered a brown leather jacket and red scarf. <clears throat> they also came across a menu and receipts from a Malibu seafood restaurant, together with some home snapshots of Unterweger posing with female members of the Los Angeles Police Department. <laughs> Oh, my God. Geiger, on a hunch, thought that something might also turn up in L.A. He contacted the police there and discovered that they were in the throes of investigating three killings of prostitutes. Oh, my God. Close quote. Whoa. Yeah, because L.A. probably... I mean, the LAPD meets this, like, soft-spoken Austrian man wearing, so like, charming. disco clothes. Yeah. And I mean, like, oh, I just want to see what the red light district is like. <laughs> and they're like, okay, buddy. And then, like, sex workers end up dead. And they're like... Couldn't be that guy. And he's reporting on <laughs> he's, it. That's he's, the best he's thing. A little Austrian reporter. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Wait, was he reporting for ORF or was he like uh, I, for Austrian news? Or? I think he was a freelance for a freelance oh, okay. uh, magazine, but I, I could be wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So back to the quote. Geiger discovered that all of the murders in L.A. were identical to those in Austria. They had all been killed while, while Unterweger was in the city, masquerading as a journalist and requiring the L.A. police to assist him with his research. More importantly, receipts from, the, from, the Unterweger's apartment, uh, from Unterweger's apartment correlated to hotels near where the prostitutes were murdered. One worryingly, worrying development for the police was that Unterweger had acquired an impressionable girlfriend, Bianca Murak, who was now missing from home. It now became an urgent crusade to track down Unterweger before anything happened to her. Close mm. quote. So at this time, Unterweger is kind of... He, friends have told him that the police are about to arrest him. He has escaped mm. Vienna. And he's with this girl. I think she's only about 18, 19 at the time. And he's in his 40s at this point. Mm. And apparently her mother didn't mind that they were dating. It's like okay. the movie Priscilla. We're very... <laughs> questions about parents. 
Um, yeah, so as I was saying, quote, tipped off by friends that the police were now searching for him, Untervega left Austria with uh, Marak, his girlfriend, and managed to enter back into America. Hmm. Uh, he then started a campaign. He to, went, he's just taking transatlantic flights. Like yeah, uh, yeah. There's no no fly list at this point because he's already under. He, he's under. Yeah, this suspicion. is the 90s, and I guess they didn't think he'd go back to America. Wow. And uh, yeah, and or else they just kind of missed him. So he goes to LA, or where does he go? No, so US? he goes. He ends up going to Florida. Okay. Um, also, while he was on the run, he would make phone calls. He started a campaign to make him look like a victim of police persecution. <laughs> Typical narcissist. Um, he also contacted the, the Austrian press, and he actually was able to persuade Austrian newspapers to publish his case for defense. Uh, he played the wrong man role in a victim of police vindictiveness. Some of the papers agreed and even paid him for exclusive articles. Did he just watch The Fugitive? And he's like, yeah, it wasn't yeah. me, it was the one-armed man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little hard to uh, strangle... Sex workers with one arm. I guess you could do it. I don't know. Um, so, Marak, his girlfriend, uh, was relieved. Uh, or, or, sorry, she revealed that she was happy to be with Unterweger. Like, she thought he was innocent. She truly just was like, it was this, it was a, what's it called? A witch hunt against Unterweger. And that, you know, this man that she was in love with, there was no way that he could have done this. Mm-hmm. And she was very, very young. Um... There was a picture kind of created that they were <clears throat> scapegoats for the murders that were happening. Hmm. So then, let's get to the arrest. Sorry, we had to take a little break, but everything is normal and back to, <laughs> back to everything. <laughs> back to the arrest, as I said earlier. So once Jack realized that the police were on to him, as I said above, he fled uh, with his very young girlfriend. They ended up in Miami. And with the help of CSI Miami's David Caruso. I'm joking. It's that show. Oh, yeah, that guy. That guy with those sunglasses. (laughs) Uh, They were able to apprehend him. Uh, Apparently, what they did was they had his girlfriend's mom wire money to them in Miami. And then when they went to go pick it up, they were able to catch him. Oh, okay. So when they were going, so Jack saw the police and started running. He, like, left his girlfriend behind. (laughs) He just took (laughs) off. They caught him quickly. And uh, when they caught him, he apparently started to weep. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, He was actually very quickly extradited. Did they play Smokey Robinson's Tears of a Cloud? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think he was quickly extradited because I believe there's an agreement with Austria and the U.S., but I think also the U.S. was like, well, we could, you know, try you for the death penalty for the murder of three sex workers, or you go back to Austria. But I was like, I will take the trip to Austria. So, quote, Back in Austria, Untervega was charged with 11 homicides, one of which occurred in Prague during the time he was visiting was identical to the murders of the other prostitutes, close quote. So from what I've heard in Aust- uh, about Austria is that you can actually be tried for a crime you did abroad. So that's mm. why they included altogether 11, because it was technically eight in Europe and then three in the U.S. But I'm sure he, he chose uh, Austria because uh, U.S. death penalty will... Right. Well, and if California, not so much, but... Uh, I think California does have the death... They, they do have the death penalty. Remember Schwarzenegger? Oh, right. Yeah. Tukey. Tukey, yeah. Um, so I just don't think they do it very often. Um, quote, the jury found him guilty of nine murders by a six to two majority, sufficient for a conviction under Austrian law at the time. On who, June... Who were the two jurors that said, ah, was it <laughs> jurors? <girlfriend>. Or... <laughs> yeah, it was his jurors. So I think... 
I believe, yeah, I believe, so I think in Australia you have eight jurors. I know that they're allowed to question the uh, person on trial as well. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very, it's a different system from the States. And I think the judges, I think there's actually a couple of judges as well. It's a very different system. I do have to look more into that. So quote, on June 29th, 1994, he was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. That night he took his own life. Hmm. by hanging himself with a rope made from shoelaces, shoelaces and a cord from the trousers of a tracksuit. He is reported to have used an intricate knot identical to that used on the murdered prostitutes. Well, case closed. Though. Case closed. Because he died before he could appeal the verdict under a technicality of Austrian law, Unterweger is officially to be considered as innocent, despite the original guilty verdict. What? Yeah. Unterweger's case was one of those considered in a review of this Austrian legal principle, close quote. Wait, I, I don't understand. Because he didn't have a chance to appeal the verdict. This is why nobody likes lawyers. <laughs> don't say that. My brother's <laughs> a lawyer. I have friends who are lawyers. We have we have listeners who are lawyers. <laughs> we know lawyers. We like those lawyers. We love those lawyers. But yeah, so that's a weird loophole that because he didn't get a chance to appeal. And corporations are people. Yeah, so he committed suicide. Um, one government spokesperson later said, quote, it was his best murder. The, his last one. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean. Dark, but yeah. Oof. Yeah. Um, so that is the end of a horrible, horrible man. Oh. But oh. I mean, what, what a, a life. What a life. I mean. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, what's sad is, you know, we, we are talking about this guy, but the victims and, and their families and all the grief they had to deal with. Absolutely horrific. And uh, it's interesting because that was the period of time where people were talking about being a little bit kinder to uh, and rehabilitating people. And then all of a sudden it shifted in the early 90s into law and order and uh, OJ trial. OJ and, and no, and it's it's. You know, I do believe in reform. I do yeah. believe in rehabilitation. And there's a lot of cases where somebody very young has committed a stupid crime. I don't believe in overzealous uh, jailing of people. Yeah. yeah, I think it's out of control. But in this case... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there was ever a case study yeah. in lock them up and throw away the key, yeah. I that's mean, the... Yeah, so the, there's a belief that, yeah, technically he, he killed uh, 13 women. Uh, I'm sure there's more. I honestly think there's more. There's more bodies that weren't found because if he had those numbers in a year, absolutely. And he and also what makes him very unusual is that he's an international killer because a lot of times serial killers have one killing area because they know it, the area very well. But I mean, this is pre-EU. You're kind of saying, you know, it's, it's international. Uh, LA. He just went to... LA. LA. Well, yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, LA is just Europe. <laughs> I mean, imagine he took his talents to South America. What he could have done. I've, listen, <laughs> I think they need to look into every murder anywhere he ever went, it's even really for a crazy. weekend. I mean, this guy is a piece of work. And uh, yeah, there's some documentaries about him. There's, I mean, also, it was very embarrassing for the intelligentsia of Vienna. Yeah. And so it's actually almost impossible to find the Vienna Woods Killer book here. Um, people don't like talking about the story very much. Yeah. Because there's still a lot of people who are alive who supported him. And it's probably a, had pictures and, you know. Yeah, it's a very touchy subject. And yeah. I don't blame people for believing that this person could have been rehabilitated. I mean, but to be fair, he did commit the murders in his 20s. It's not like he was a young kid and he had a criminal background. And again, we talk about nature versus nurture. And so absolutely fascinating story. 
Is there anything else you would like to add to the story of Jack Untevega? I mean, what can I add? <laughs> so I guess we're going to call it a day and go pay attention to the birthday boy. Yes. And he's, he's very excited. He's you very could excited. probably hear. Yeah. So please rate and review our podcast. It's, you know, you're listening to it either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Please follow the account uh, Frau Batsby. You'll find it on Instagram. And there'll be some pictures. And yeah, we have another topic coming up next week. I can't wait. And I mean, how do we top this? I know. This one is heavy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers, bye.